Welcome to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. I'm Shannon Powell. January 22nd marked the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the landmark Supreme Court case legalizing abortion that was overturned last year. In response, blue states like New York passed laws protecting abortion care providers from prosecution for those traveling from states with abortion bans. Telemedicine shield laws take that one step further, protecting doctors who prescribe pills to out-of-state women seeking to have abortions at home. Senator Shelley Mayer joins us today to talk about how New York can expand this kind of access to abortion care nationwide. Senator Mayer, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Shannon. I'm so happy to be able to talk about this bill. So let's get going. Let's talk about this shield law legislation that you sponsored. It protects New York medical providers who provide telehealth abortions from prosecution by other states. Explain exactly a little bit more in depth how this works and why it's important. Well, what happened is uh, at the time of Dobbs, the first response by the legislature, and understandably so, and credit to us for doing so, was focused on beefing up New York's law. Uh, including the Equal Rights Amendment, which we worked on, and now we've passed the second time, which explicitly aims to put in the New York State Constitution the constitutional right under New York law to the right to abortion and other reproductive health services. That was absolutely critical. But the legislation was largely focused on women physically coming to New York for abortion services. And I was very supportive, and it was absolutely the right thing to do. However, since then, I have been focused on the now about 40 million women who are basically lost their right. That's women of childbearing age who live in the states that have limited or eliminated the right to abortion. 40 million American women. uh, There's only a small subset that has the resources, the capability to travel to any other state, albeit New York from Kentucky or Texas or Alabama or any of these states. And the other thing is these women largely uh, are women, poorer women without resources or have small children or have a job and can't afford to take time off, don't have any way to come all the way to New York to enjoy really the liberty that we have here, which is that we have terrific physicians and others in that space who could either provide an abortion, a surgical abortion or a medication abortion. So the second part of my concern was that over 50% of abortions have been medication abortion, which is safe, far easier, you know, just in every respect easier, except that it's not easier from a regulatory perspective. So I knew if I was 19 and pregnant and living in Arkansas, and you know, maybe had a one-year-old or wasn't ready to have a child or doesn't have any of the things you need to, have, uh, to, to go into a lifetime of parenting, what would I do? I'd wanna be able to call an established physician who is licensed in their state, who does this for a living, a family practitioner, an obstetrician, a physician, anyone who's authorized and say, one, help me figure out what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. And two, if I want to have an abortion, here's the medication you need and either figure out a way to get it to me because it's complicated or send me in the right direction. And we could do it through telehealth. We learned all of this through COVID. 
And in fact, during COVID, telehealth was the dominant acceptable form of medical communication. All of us, you know, uh, I, I just had COVID the first time I had to have a, a visit over telehealth to make sure I wasn't in distress. So I knew this is what millions of women wanted. And so I started looking at it and it is a constitutionally complex area because you're involving another state's civil and criminal law. And um, some people were at the beginning concerned that you were placing New York physicians who wanted to do this or other providers at risk of being extradited and charged and convicted in a crime for aiding, abetting an abortion in another state. And that someone was gonna come here on some horse and take them out and arrest them. And then these issues could go to the US Supreme Court over which we have zero confidence. So some things happened in the interim. Massachusetts adopted a shield law and it was signed by a Republican governor. That was clear to me, we could find a path forward here. And so I worked for the last six months with my staff, with some of the top law professors on this issue, with the advocates to find legislation that carved out a very narrow niche for reproductive health care, licensed in New York. In other words, the doctor or the provider is licensed to do this work through telehealth, can provide this care to a person in another state, and that there can't be extradition, criminal extradition, and we do not have to give full faith and credit to the laws of another state with respect to criminal prosecution particularly. We built in more, but that's the essence of it. So, so uh, Senator Mayor, tell me, it's my understanding that some abortion rights groups were at first a little hesitant about this legislation. Why was that? And how did you manage to get them on board? Because this is new. I mean, this is all like the new frontier. It's new. And I think, you know, the, the world was in such a tumult after Dobbs. Like, what is the best way to respond? We can't rely on the Supreme Court to protect us with future cases. Uh, we can rely on some state courts. So I think that one, there was not a clear strategy of that community, which is perfectly, you know, makes perfect sense. Who knew what to do? And secondly, there's a fear of, you know, telling doctors and providers it's okay to do this as if nothing bad could happen. Something bad could happen. But here are two things. One, there's a group of doctors and providers in New York who want to do this and want this law. And they are determined and they are not going to walk to Tennessee to run the risk of being arrested in Tennessee for violating Tennessee law. They're probably never going to be able to go to some of these states again. But they are willing and anxious as an ethical duty to provide this care. And the second thing is that the choice advocacy community, which is diverse and not speak with a single voice, I said I wasn't going to put the bill in until we reached an understanding. These folks are on the front line. I hold them in high, high regard. And I was confident that if we continue to work together, we could find some common ground. And I think the common ground is a recognition that for women, so few women can afford the luxury of traveling to another state. And we have this really excellent alternative to surgical abortion, which is medication abortion, which in the interim, both the FDA and the Department of Justice, while they haven't fixed it, have loosened the, the strings and, and the bonds that have limited the uh, availability of these medications. 
So you spoke earlier about Massachusetts leading the nation and, and actually passing a similar law, the first one that was signed by the Republican governor, which again is so fascinating. Um, do you see this concept now that New York and you're trying to do it here, catching fire in other blue states? Yes, and I, I spoke to one of the leading doctors again yesterday, and they have a coalition of doctors throughout the United States. And in fact, they have a hotline uh, where people can call who are pregnant or by the way, have a miscarriage. Let's not forget, there's a whole range of clinical services that will be protected in New York when this bill is signed. Uh, and they are working with other states. And I think in other blue states, you're gonna find legislators like myself and my colleagues, many of whom have signed on, um, who say, everyone's not gonna travel here physically. We have this remarkably safe process. Let us make this available and protect our providers who are licensed to do it in New York. No one is going outside what they're authorized to do. If I saw them physically in New York, it would be fine. It's just that the patient is physically not here. I know that uh, the legislature passed and the governor signed last year a number of bills. I believe it was six reproductive rights bills. What other bills in addition to yours are being taken up? The ERA you mentioned, anything else that you'd like to talk about? Well, the ERA is the big thing. And we both the Senate and Assembly passed it yesterday. Uh, it has to pass two times and then it will be on the ballot, not this year, 2023, but 2024, when we anticipate there'll be significant turnout in a presidential election. You and I know that unfortunately not enough people vote in these off years and we need this to pass. And this enshrines in the New York state constitution, uh, not only the right to abortion, but a range of protections far broader than our current state constitution and reflects really diversity of New York and the commitment to protecting all groups under the constitution. So that is the big deal. But there are a number of other important bills, including one that requires as hospitals, uh, particularly both inside and outside New York City, uh, merge, mm -hmm. and particularly uh, in some of the Catholic hospital systems where there are certain services they will not provide or do not need to provide, we need patients to know not only the impact, but literally what services are not provided here. Like I go to an emergency room because I think I'm having a miscarriage. I need to know, does this hospital provide a surgical abortion. And we want affirmative disclosure. And that is one of the bills that was done. The other is to create a fund to help pay for some of the expenses associated with people coming here. Um, there, there, we did about six bills yesterday. Um, in addition to mine, the other important one is that pharmacists would be able to distribute contraception without a patient-specific order. So um, like now, you can go to CVS and get a vaccine for a flu vaccine. You don't need an order that says Shannon Powell needs a flu vaccine, a little prescription. Rather, they do a general order that to the pharmacy and say, you know, make sure Shannon Powell doesn't have any contraindications and we are authorized. Well, that's what we want for contraceptives. And my colleague, Senator Toby Stavisky, for birth control, uh, Plan B, which is you know right after sex, uh, these these important contraceptive tools, make them available. Why should you need a prescription? You have to go to Planned Parenthood and get a prescription. You know, there's so many disincentives, and just take ourselves back to being 
young women or women who found out they were pregnant uh, or had other complications. I mean, having contraceptives easily available over the counter from a licensed pharmacist authorized to do this in New York, to me, this is like a no brainer and we should have done it already, but I'm very happy we moved this forward. There are so many barriers, and especially when you're a young woman, it's intimidating. Uh, so that's why I personally believe this kind of legislation, you know, can be very, very not only groundbreaking, but you know, very important. Um, Senator Mayor, what do you think is kind of the next frontier? I mean, people are saying that these shield laws are kind of at the cutting edge, but what do you think is kind of the next thing? Well, I, I really do think we're going to have to work on the feds to um, loosen the reins on these abortion medication. For example, they did authorize more general pharmacies to carry it. Like right now, you can't go to your regular drugstore. You have to go to a specialty drugstore that has been authorized by one of two manufacturers of these medications. That's a ridiculous burden. And in my opinion, they should say everyone can carry it, even in states where it's prohibited, um, and, and, and use the supremacy clause the best they can in commerce to assert they have the right to do that, and then sending it through the mail. They said in the most recent guidance that it was, unless you intentionally wanted to use it for an illegal purpose, it could be sent through the US mail or like FedEx and the other big uh, multi-state carriers. I think really loosening the reins on this medication abortion is critical step one. And the step two is the political fight. Like we are on the winning side of this. I would just say in our conference yesterday, the Senate Republicans chose not to debate any of these bills. And I suspect because they don't want members saying things that are going to be problems when they run for re-election. Right. Even in conservative districts in New York, we are on the right side of this issue as well as nationally. So we have a political fight to be on the winning side because we are on the winning side. And so I'm very much motivated to work with advocates like yourself and others to position ourselves in the right way, in the best way possible. I think we have lessons learned from what happened uh, when we got up to Dobbs and what states have done. Bottom line, we need state legislatures uh, that reflect the, uh, the women in our country. And right now we don't have that. And so that's, that's another thing that we must do if we're going to win, as long as Dobbs said to all the states, free for all, everybody do what they want, as if somehow because you lived in, you know, Tennessee or, or Arkansas, you're sort of different than you or I right. when you find out you're pregnant. And the, the real thing is it's forced pregnancy. And it's not just a pregnancy, it's forced parenting. Right. It's a lifetime that you may not want, and you should have had the choice. And they took it away. So I think we have political work, I think there's governmental work at the federal level, and I think there's state legislative work that we have to organize on. Really important to stay on the offensive. Um, just briefly, uh, I know the session just started. We've talked about reproductive rights, abortion care, but what other priorities do you have? Well, as chair of education, I continue to have as my number one priority, and it's somewhat technical, the full funding of foundation aid, which is adopted in 2007 to determine what schools need from the state government in order to address need, need of their students, need of their communities. Thank goodness we had the first two years paid out. Thank goodness Governor Hochul is committed to a third year. It's a big chunk of change because of inflation. It's tied to an inflationary factor. 
that's very important. But I would add, there's so many other things in the education space, helping kids come back socially and emotionally, uh, dealing with learning loss. We want to continue to expand full day pre-K outside the city of New York and make it work. So districts actually adopted. We think it's, it's absolutely necessary. I happen to want after school in many, many uh, schools throughout New York. We don't have it funded well. It's a very disparate stream. And we're going to fight for these other things like how much uh, home care providers are paid. These are predominantly jobs of women, largely women of color. And you cannot afford to live in our community at $15 an hour with one job. You have to have more than one job to rent an apartment. And um, I, I favor raising the minimum wage uh, because I think that we need to be a community that not only values the work of these lower income workers, but for our kids, <laughs> they are being cared for by uh, daycare workers, uh, early childhood workers, after school workers. We have to change our approach. So in the education space, there's a lot of work to be done. We're waiting to see the governor's budget and where she starts. But she she made some good um, announcements in her state of the state, and I'm hopeful that we can build on that. Great. Thank you so much, Senator Mayer, for joining us. So what's next with the SHIELD law? Does it go to the governor now? For No, it did not. It, it is not in the assembly yet. Not in the assembly, so it goes to We're the assembly. We're waiting for it to um, have a number. Mm-hmm. My colleague, Assemblywoman Karinas Reyes, who's a nurse, uh, from the Bronx, a fantastic advocate, is carrying it in the assembly with a lot of co-sponsors. Hopefully it gets on a committee agenda and moves soon. Uh, and hopefully they don't want to make some changes. But, you know, these complicated bills that have changes. And once it passes there, if it's in the same version, it would go to the governor. And I think the governor's office is quite interested in the sort of uh, forward thinking of this bill. We, we, we can't be, like you said, we can't be defensive. And we've got to be creative just because something is, as I say, complicated, not good enough anymore. If it's complicated, we've got to figure it out. Yeah, accept the challenge and move on, move forward. Yeah, wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Senator Mayor. Thank you, Shannon. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Be sure to check out our website at indivisiblewestchester.org for the latest news and actions that you can take.